Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It's Bach Week. I'm so excited. It is a fun week here at KFUO where the church commemorates the life of J.S. Bach. And we don't just do it one day here on the Coffee Hour. That's not nearly enough. That's not nearly enough. We have fun with Bach Week. And coming back for Bach Week, one of our favorite Bach aficionados, is that an appropriate way to describe him? I believe so. Active duty Navy chaplain and author of cantatas over coffee, which is very fitting for the coffee hour. It is. Uh, the Reverend Brian Hamer, Chaplain Hamer, welcome back to the coffee hour. Andy and Sarah, good to be with you and our listeners during this Bach week. It is always good to celebrate Bach week with you. And we're going to take a look at BWV 75, which is a very special cantata. Why is cantata 75 so unique to Bach's Leipzig heritage? Andy and Sarah, this was Bach's first cantata in Leipzig. Now, don't let the numbers throw you. These cantata numbers that run from 1 to about 300 is what we call a shelf order. So after Bach died, somebody simply grabbed the cantatas quite literally off the shelf and somewhat randomly numbered them 1 through 300. But the first one actually performed in Leipzig was cantata, what we now know as cantata number 75 in English, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. The backstory itself is amazing. J.S. Bach was the third choice to be the contour, that is the church musician at St. Thomas Leipzig. His predecessor, Johann Kunal, died about a year before. The town council set upon a search to find, find, find a suitable replacement. They tried Telemann. They tried somebody named Gropter. One did not like the salary. One could not get out of his current contract. So the following spring, they effectively, unbelievably, they basically settled for J.S. Bach, who was at the time the court composer in Kusen. So on May 22nd, 1723, he arrived in Leipzig along with his wife, Anna, five children, and their household goods. It's a relatively short trip from Kusen to Leipzig. And they moved into the south wing of the St. Thomas School, where the contour had his own three-floor apartment. Now, that may sound pretty generous, but you would need that because Bach, through his lifetime, had a total of 20 kids. Obviously, they would not all be alive or even at home at the same time, but that was one very busy family. His first Sunday would have been May 23rd, 1723. And on that particular Sunday, he and his family probably sat together in church for the first and last time in Leipzig, because starting the following Sunday, May 30th, 1723, he was officially in the seat as music director, beginning with Cantata 75 for the first Sunday after Trinity, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. It's always Fun to have a reminder of Bach's history and all of his context of how he began in Leipzig and the context of all of his cantatas. What is the liturgical context for Cantata 75? 
So this would be the first Sunday after Trinity, and for our listeners' benefit, many of us use a three-year lectionary and Lutheran service book, but flip a couple pages in the beginning of Lutheran service book, and you'll see the one-year lectionary, and that's simply the slightly older lectionary with the same basic church year that was more common before the 1960s. So this is what Luther would have preached on, what Johann Gerhard preached through, and what J.S. Bach had in mind as he was working on his cantatas. So the gospel lesson, which, as you know, is the centerpiece for every Sunday. For Trinity 1, it is St. Luke 16, 19 through 31, which is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So as we walk through some of the highlights from J.S. Bach, Cantata 75, that's the background that you have to have in mind. Temptation is to go straight to the text of Cantata 75 and try to interpret it independently. Now, it's not quite going to work. You need to have that parable of the rich man of Lazarus in mind. So, for instance, I have a confession for the two of you. I love the coffee hour. I love KFUL. But since you're not on Sundays, I go slumming with BBC Radio 3 and I listen to the early music show but only on Sundays, and I'm thanking you the whole time. I want you to know that. The, the beginning of this cantata starts with majestic music. So think in terms of Handel's coronation anthems, and frankly, much of the music that you just heard for the coronation of Charles III, dotted rhythms, trumpets, timpani, and so forth. So you have this majestic music, but the text is from Psalm 22. Now you tell me if this sounds majestic. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied, those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. I don't think that sounds very majestic. It is richest and purest gospel, maybe somewhat penitential, emphasis on God's providence. Why is that paired with majestic music? According to the early music show on BBC Radio 3, Bach started with that majestic music. Now keep in mind, you are the third choice for contour. You want to show the town council that you have some talent. So this must be Bach's way of heralding his arrival in Leipzig. Well, this is the same composer who signed secular and sacred compositions, Glory to God Alone. What's really happening here? Again, look at the gospel lesson. The rich man and Lazarus. So the music depicts the rich man who is clothed in purple and fine linen. So it's essentially the rich man's music. But the text that the choir sings is, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. That is the prayer of Lazarus and of all the faithful. So we start with majestic music. Are there highlights from the first part of this cantata that you'd like to, to dig into? Absolutely. Your typical cantata from J.S. Bach from this period, say his first three years in Leipzig especially, you'd start with a very elaborate chorus, and then you move into shorter solo movements, and you end with a chorale, which the congregation might have sung along, along with. So you have this opening chorus that we already discussed, and then it goes into the second movement, having heard this majestic music set against Psalm 22, the bass sings the following words. Of what use is majesty's purple robe since it passes away? Of what use is vast accumulation for everything that we see must pass away? Of what use are the fancies of an idle mind for our bodies themselves will expire? Oh, how quickly it does occur that riches, lust, and pomp send our spirits to hell. Now, in Lutheran terms, that is the law, isn't it? Reminds us of Ecclesiastes. 
and that when we put our trust in our wealth and in our riches, it simply does not end well. And then a couple movements later, the soprano sings this, I accept my affliction with joy. Whoever can patiently endure the misery of Lazarus will be received by the angels. So, like poor Lazarus, even if we should be poor beggars in this life, by holy baptism, we wear the robe of baptismal righteousness, and therefore we are rich toward God and have all the privileges of the Son of God himself. And there's something else here. Think in terms of the requiem. So the requiem, that is the mass of rest for the dead, prays to them that they would be received by the chorus of angels and with Lazarus the beggar, eternally may you have rest. The challenge of that, theology is good, you have rest with Lazarus, absolutely, but you're actually praying for the dead. Movement five here, from an anonymous poet, rephrases it and makes it doctrinally correct. Listen to it again. I accept my affliction with joy. Whoever can patiently endure the misery of Lazarus shall be received by the angels in eternal life. So richest and purest gospel there in part one, and it ends with a familiar chorale. And this is from Lutheran service book 760 stanza one. What God ordains is always good. His will is just and holy. As he directs my life for me, I follow meek and lowly. My God indeed in every need knows well how he will shield me. To him then I will yield me. It's a great ending to the first part of the cantata. I've sung this cantata too, so this is fun to get into this one. What about part two? What are your, what are the Hamer highlights from part two? Ooh, I like that. The Hamer highlights. I can't take credit for that. It was in the notes, so Andy wrote that. The Hamer highlights. <laughs> Hamer's highlights. Uh, absolutely. Well, most of J.S. Box cantatas do not have two parts to them. We'd have one cantata that was sung before the sermon. The longer ones are naturally divided into two parts. So part one before the sermon, from a musician's perspective, I'm sure you'd agree that gives you a chance to rest, which is kind of nice. One unique fact about the divine service in St. Thomas Leipzig at the time, it started at 7.30 a.m. and it went for about three hours. Now, that's impressive, but there's also the reality that most people would probably not stick around for the entire service. The Leipzigers were known to try to get to church just in time for the sermon. So that's not a, that is not a more recent innovation that you get there just in time for the sermon. But those who got there in time for the sermon would have missed part one of the cantata. So part two, in this case, was the first time that some of these folks would say, oh, how's the new contour doing? And I hope they were impressed. Part two starts with a symphonia. That's an all-instrumental section parallel to the overture in the concert hall where it's going to introduce the themes musically of what you're about to hear and the symphonia features the trumpet single trumpet with instrumental accompaniment and he is playing the tune from what god ordains is always good now nobody could show off a trio of trumpets, quite like J.S. Bach, or just about anything else. This is the first time that the folks would have heard a trumpet solo, and over the next 27 years in Leipzig, there were many more to follow. So continuing into the second half, that theme, 
of being spiritually rich, even if you should perchance be financially poor, continues for instance his movement 10, the Alto Aria. For the Alto sings, Jesus makes me spiritually rich. If I can receive his spirit, I will require nothing more, for thereby my life grows. Jesus makes me spiritually rich. C.S. Lewis, who of course comes much later, put it well. He said that we can put the treasures of this earth first in our life, but then we might lose the treasures of heaven. Or we can put the treasures of heaven first in our life, Christ first in all things, and then God will throw in the treasures of the earth for free. And who can argue with that? Similarly, backing up before Bach, Martin Luther claims from time to time, both in the large catechism and in occasional sermon quotes, that God will not let a Christian starve to death. He will always provide for his people. Now, it's nearly impossible to prove that simply because we can't ask every Christian who has ever died, did you starve to death? But the point is clear. God provides for our spiritual needs. God provides for our physical needs. Therefore, thanks be to God. Now, a little subplot here. J.S. Bach's salary in Leipzig was one-fourth of what it had been as a court composer in Kuthen. So, as he conducted this cantata from the harpsichord in the balcony at St. Thomas Leipzig, was he particularly struck by this text that God's going to provide for me and my large family? I certainly hope so. It ends with the stanza, let's see, Lutheran Service Book 760, stanza 5, once again to what God ordains. And so the cantata concludes, What God ordains is always good, though I the cup am drinking, which savors now of bitterness, I take it without shrinking. For after grief, God gives relief, my heart with comfort filling, and all my sorrow stilling. Now, I don't know about you, if I were the preacher at St. Thomas Leipzig, I would be tempted to stand in the pulpit and say, today's sermon is contained in a cantata, peace be with you, and then sit down. There is so much here to chew on, I'm not sure what the preacher would have to say. I'm tempted after all of these simply to say, this is the gospel of the Lord, thanks be to God. We are taking a look at Johann Sebastian Bach's cantata number 75 with Chaplain Brian Hamer. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. 
It is Bach Week. We are talking with Chaplain Brian Hamer, active duty Navy chaplain and author of Cantatas Over Coffee, taking a look mm-hmm. at BWV 75. He has a column in Around the Word called Lifted Voice, and we'll share the link in today's program notes. You can find it at whatdoesthismean.org. We are taking a look at BWV 75. So we, we've, we've taken a look at some of the text of this cantata and, and really dug into that, both parts one and two. How did you mention that this was his first cantata in Leipzig? How did the people of, of Leipzig respond to this cantata? I'm happy to say that he was well received. One press release said that box music was received with good applause. Now, that's probably a metaphor at the time with good applause to say that the people were very appreciative of his music. And recall, he was hired by the town council and he was in charge of music for the city of Leipzig, including several churches. Most of his Sundays were alternating between St. Thomas, which is the one we know the best, and St. Nicholas. But there was also St. Paul's and the University Church. So we probably think in terms of kind of self-contained church music, how's our church musician doing for our congregation? Here, it was very much an endeavor for the entire town. The following week, I recall that St. Bach, that's an understandable error, I think. Recall that Bach lived in the apartment at the St. Thomas School, and he also taught at the St. Thomas School. The boys in his Sunday morning choir were from the St. Thomas School. And since he had so much time on his hands, he also taught Latin at the at the St. Thomas School. So on Monday or Tuesday, it would be June 1st or 2nd, he was formally introduced to the St. Thomas School by the chairman of the school board. And then he was admonished to, so this is what he's supposed to do, quoting now, to discharge the duties of his office, show the authorities his respect and willingness, cultivate good relations and friendship with his colleagues, conscientiously instruct the youth in the fear of God and other useful studies, and thus keep the school in good repute. And you have to love that phrase, to keep it in good repute. That choir, the St. Thomas Choir of Leipzig, was established in the year 1212. Yes, 1212. So just a couple generations from now, they will celebrate their 1,000th anniversary. <laughs> so a box, not just another step along the way. I think this is the apex for the St. Thomas School. But when you're writing this in 1723, you're dealing with something over 500 years old. It was that important. And what Bach did was applied what one conductor calls a white-knuckled energy. To compose these cantatas on Monday and Tuesday, they have his wife and graduate students on the first floor of the apartment practically copying out parts for the individual soloist on Wednesday and Thursday, and then to practice on Friday and Saturday, then to perform on Sunday, and then Monday, sit down at the composer's desk and start over again. Not only the most talented man, I think, ever to, to serve as a church musician, he was the busiest man. I'm convinced he was also the busiest man on the planet and did, did it all to the glory of God. It's really incredible to think about the lifestyle of musicians at that time and that, that, that process of literally cranking out music like that every week and thinking through, thinking about our publishing process nowadays. It doesn't happen in a week generally from when you start writing to when it gets played in church in a cantata of this grandeur, I suppose. So it's it's really amazing to think about the the music and the just the exemplary excellence that he always 
head and all of these cantatas. It's it's really wonderful. What else did Bach do following this first cantata, his introduction to St. Thomas, the, the choir that's going to be 2,000 years, 1,000 years old? Is that what the number was? Sorry, math. <laughs> what else did he do in, in the, the following weeks and months? Well, it, again, it's absolutely mind-numbing. He had 27 years in, in Leipzig. And during that time, he produced a couple hundred cantatas. Some had been written before he came to Leipzig. A handful of passions for Good Friday, a handful of oratorios, such as an Easter oratorio, numerous organ works, that alone could fill several shows, and much, much more. And keep in mind, there were also boys who suddenly understood Latin and German and, and how to sing. Somehow, though, it seems fitting that his first Leipzig cantata dealt with God's promise from Psalm 22, that the poor shall eat and be satisfied. The intro it, the entrance psalm for that Sunday says, I will sing unto the Lord, for he had dealt bountifully with me. So here's Bach in his first Sunday as a church musician, and the first words of the liturgy are, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath dealt bountifully with me. God could not be more bountiful in gifting one man with musical talent, and he has given us to this day to sing unto him, unto God. So there are some anniversaries associated with this. What are some of the the significant anniversaries? Let's see, when this happened, this was, um, what, 200 years after some of the early parts of the Reformation, right? Absolutely. So our Lutheran singing heritage starts by and large on July 1st, 1523. And that was the Brussels tragedy where two young men, John and Henry, in Brussels and the Netherlands were martyred for holding to Martin Luther's doctrine of justification by grace through faith. When Martin Luther heard of their martyrdom, he wrote the first Lutheran hymn, appropriately titled, A New Song Here Shall Be Begun. And then most of Luther's hymns were written between 1523 and 1526. So as we're sitting here in this Bach week, July of 2023, we are right around the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's first hymn. And again, most of them written 1523 to 1526 were at the cusp of a three-year stretch of anniversaries for Luther's hymns. By coincidence, or is it providence, it's similar with Bach. 1723, so 300th anniversary of a chorale cantata working through the one-year lectionary. He wrote three cycles, those first three years. So 1723 to 1726, it's going to be anniversary after anniversary. It is numbing, and yet at the same time, it is, it's an embarrassment of riches. There's so much to chew on for the 500th anniversary of Luther's hymns, 300th anniversary of Bach's first three years at Leipzig. Again, let us sing unto the Lord, for he hath dealt bountifully with us and given us a song to sing. Absolutely. We have a couple minutes left. I want to go back to the hymn that we've inherited since this is kind of our touch point to this Cantata 75 in our Lutheran service book, What God Ordains is Always Good. Is there anything you want to tell us that you you can tell us about this hymn, number 760? And even if you don't have a Lutheran service book, this is a public domain text in tune, I believe. Yes, it's a public domain text in tune, which means you can go someplace like hymnary.org and look it up online too if you want to take a look at this. What else can you tell us about this hymn and, and how it connects us to this Bach cantata? Yes. 
Well, Sarah, I, I love your word touch point. And as our listeners explore the cantatas, and I must confess, I have not gotten to the 200 cantatas that we have. I don't know if I ever will in this lifetime, but the real touch point that makes it meaningful to you and gives you something to sing. And again, the congregation probably sang with the choir is the chorale cantata, because these would be familiar hymn tunes. Notice that the author of the text and the tomb are both contemporaries of J.S. Bach, born in the late 17th century and died in the 18th century. Lesser known names, Rog- boy, the print is so small, Radagast and Gastorian. I apologize if you get emails at KFUL correcting my pronunciation on those. The great thing and a good question to ask here, in Luke service book 760, you look at the top, it says, hope and comfort. In older hymns, it was titled cross and comfort. I'm not sure why they changed that particular classification, but it means the same thing. There is great hope and comfort. So always ask, you know, how does this comfort me? Now, Andy and I lost a friend, was it about two months ago that somebody named Pastor Kenneth Farnsworth, and he and I both worked with Pastor Farnsworth when Andy and I first became friends in Tampa in the late 1990s. That's why I can tease him incessantly, even on live radio, because we've been good friends for a long time. But ask, how does this comfort me? And when you've lost a friend to a, a sudden heart attack, you can pray, say, with the stanza six, what God ordains is always good. This truth remains unshaken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, I shall not be forsaken. I fear no harm, for with his arm he shall embrace and shield me, so to my God I yield me. This is the gospel of the Lord. So you never know when Chaplain Hamer's going to have a great cantata and then uh, just say that there was the sermon for today. Yeah, (laughs) I'd be there for it. BWV 75, great cantata. Thank you for observing Bach Week with us here on the Coffee Hour. Chaplain Hamer, always great to talk with you. Thanks for the great insights. A pleasure, Andy and Sarah. Keep up the good work. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.